So you may or may not know this, but before I became a pastor, I worked as an engineer at a local company called Met One Instruments. Uh, was there for about a total of six years. And when I first started there, I was graduated from Oregon State, went, um, got a job there. The first trip I took, I took a lot of trips with them, but the first trip I ever took, 1996, I was six months as an engineer there, and I went out to the, it's called the Savannah River Department of Energy site. And this site, really important, because they make tritium, and tritium helps nuclear bombs go off. And you got to replace it every five years. So I had to go through an FBI background check. It was kind of brutal, like, whoa, okay. Um, Go out there, because we had equipment on this really it was 1,250 feet tall tower, just a massive tower, about every 50 feet. And the reason why is if tritium gets away, you wanna know where it goes. So that's what our equipment did. It monitored where that cloud would go and who would die from it. So really happy stuff. So, so every year they would have to go up because of Department of Energy procedures, they'd have to go up that tower and calibrate, replace, just do maintenance on all the sensors all the way up that tower. Now, just think about that. Every 50 feet, 1,250 feet, you got all the tools, you've got spares, you've got, imagine doing that. So I'm wondering like, how in the world do they do that? Well, I found out. So I go there and I meet Daryl and his other brother, Daryl. That's not their names. That's just what I call them. And deep south, you're talking, this is deep, deep south. It's on the border of South Carolina and Georgia, just deep south. I could not understand what they said. I needed a translator. Well, I could understand some things they said. It would be like this, NASCAR. I'd be like, love Dale Earnhardt. Like, that's all I get was NASCAR. That was it. That was the only thing I could understand, right? So here's what Daryl and Daryl would do. Um, At some point, The elder Daryl had gone up that tower and he'd hung a pulley at the very top of it. Then he had this cable that went from the ground and went up over the pulley and all the way back down. And then when it was time to yearly do all the maintenance on this tower, he would pull his truck underneath that tower. He would jack up one side. He would pull off his tire and he had built this like, it it looked like a 55 gallon contraption and he would bolt that 55-gallon contraption to his axle. He would attach one end of the cable to that 55-gallon contraption. The other side would attach to this cage that we put all of his tools in and all of his stuff in, and then he would climb in it, and then he would get on his walkie-talkie to Daryl in the truck and be like, which was, give it gas, Daryl, and up he would go. Yeah, crazy. I could not believe it. The only good thing was this. In three days, he would almost make my annual salary. If he survived, you had to live, right? Now I tell that because they're blue collar, man. That was the most blue collar, just construction kind of work I'd ever seen. Like, are you kidding me? Jesus today is going to finish up the Sermon on the Mount by a blue collar analogy. He goes blue collar, he goes construction. That's what he talks about. And what Jesus is gonna say is this, there's only two builders in life. So it's continuing this two that Jesus has been on. There's two paths. One's broad and easy and leads to destruction. The other path is hard and narrow 
and leads to life. There's two kinds of teachers. So beware of the sheep or the wolf in sheep's clothing. There's two kinds of trees, one that bears good fruit and one that bears bad fruit. There's two kinds of followers. We looked at that yesterday or last week. And now Jesus is gonna say, there's only two kinds of builders, that's it. And when a builder becomes really important is not when life is easy, right? When the sun is shining at 75, you don't care how your house was built. When do you care how it was built? When the rain comes. That's when you really care how your roof was put on. And so Jesus here is gonna talk about building and it's beautiful and brilliant. And so this is the conclusion to the greatest sermon ever preached. And it's the answer to some people to last week. Because last week was salvation by grace through faith alone. That you can't work, you can't earn it. You can't earn this gift. It can only be received by graceful faith. And so then there's this kind of like, well, I'm good then. 20 years ago, I prayed a prayer, I'm good. Oh, beware, finish the sermon. Because Jesus would say, you're not okay. So let's jump in to the conclusion to this incredible sermon. Verse 24, Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Anyone in here ever build a house? Anyone in here ever do a remodel on a house? Okay, you know this then. There is a point in every project, in every home build, and every remodel, there's a point where you have to make a decision. Do I do it right? The hard way, the costly way, the way that's gonna take more resources, or do I cut a corner? Jesus is saying, that's like life. Because the house here is not literally a house. The Bible over and over uses the idea of a house to represent our life. A wise man builds his house, right? A wise woman builds her house. Unless the Lord build the house, you labor in vain. It's an analogy for life. And so Jesus here is saying, we're all gonna make these decisions in life, some to cut corners, some to do things right. We're all gonna make decisions like that. And we're building our lives based on those decisions. And Jesus says, in the end of the time, there's only two ways to build. There's the wise builder. It's the Greek word phronimos. It was well known in Jesus's time. It means, you know, wise, wisely with understanding. 
It's a person that lived their life with integrity, a person that lived their life doing the right things even when it was hard. Moral compass, consistent. And the fruit of that kind of life was seen throughout their entire lifetime. Do you know people like this? They're wise builders. They built a wise home. Do names come to mind? A Billy Graham, an Adrian Rogers, a Chuck Smith, a Corey Ten Boom, a Joni Erickson Tata. These are people that even in the ups and downs, and they all have ups and downs, they just had a consistency to their life. And you say, that's brilliant. That's good. Yes. But there's a second kind of builder. Jesus calls them a fool. It's the Greek word moros. From where we get? Moron. (laughs) All their building, all their effort, all their decisions, everything that they work for, all the time that they put into it, at the end, it's a gigantic waste. It's worthless. It's gone. It's routed. That there's coming a time for the moron where he will be exposed, where she will be exposed. And it's all destruction. Any people come to mind right now? No names, no pointing fingers. This is church, right? There's only two. And Jesus is gonna say, there's some similarities between the two and there are some differences between the two. First, the similarities. They both build houses, right? The outward part of their life, the the way that they live, it looks the same. Jesus doesn't say, oh man, you could tell the fool's house. Nothing was square, nothing was level, nothing was plumb. You could just tell it, no. From the outside, it looks great. It wasn't, man, the fool has toilets out in his yard and an old Volkswagen bug. Doesn't say that. They both look good. They build similar houses. Both of them go through a storm. This is really important for us to remember because I think programmed into the human psyche from the Garden of Eden is this idea. It's called the covenant of works. It's a theological term. There's a program into our very DNA. If I do life wisely, I'll avoid all the storms. If I do life wisely, man, I'll have a good, brilliant life. That's programmed into us. We all believe it. It's the only reason why we ever say, man, that's unfair. Because we believe the covenant of works. And if you struggle with this idea, read the book of Job. A man that suffers more than anyone else in the Bible except for Jesus. A man that loses everything he had worked for and he was a billionaire. All of it gone in one day. All of his houses, all of his cattle, everything, all of his servants, his 10 children die that same day. No one suffers like Job. But you look at God's evaluation of Job in chapter one, God doesn't say he's a moron. What does God say? He's my best. There's no one as good as Job on the entire planet. He's the best. He is built wisely. Every morning he would make sacrifice and intercession for his 10 children. He's the best. And throughout the rest of that book until God appears at the end, Job has one thing, I didn't deserve this. I don't have some kind of secret sin that I'm involved in or something. I did not deserve this. That's constantly what Job says. Now, sometimes people suffer because they deserve it, right? We have sayings. You mess with a bull, 
You get the, what are we saying right then? Man, you earned it, poetic justice. And we're all okay with that. Job is saying, no way, that's not how I lived. And when you go through storms and you didn't do something to deserve it, it will bring out the worst theology in people. Do you know that? They'll tell you stuff that just is completely wrong. I'll prove it to you by the friends of Job. The first one is this guy named Bildad the Shuhite. Small dude, big mouth, should have kept it shut. Listen to what he says to a man that just lost his 10 kids. Job 8.4. If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. What did Bildad the Shuhite just tell Job? Your kids deserve to die, right? Unbelievable, unbelievable. I'd done a funeral for a 12-day-old baby. Did that 12-day-old baby do something to deserve that? No. See, they're erasing the complexities of life. Life is complex. You don't know that. Every morning, Job had got up and made sacrifice and intercession for his 10 kids. He doesn't know anything. We make these just generalizations and we iron out the wrinkles of life. We do that too often. The fact that Job didn't trash this dude for saying that tells you he's got a man of character. If it was me in that situation, I'd probably be in prison, right? The second guy, his name is Eliphaz. He says this to Job in chapter four. He says, life is like farming. Job, if you just farm well, and if you just till up the the soil, and if you put fertilizer in, and you plant good seed, and you water that seed, and you weed that seed, then you're going to get a great harvest. Is that true? What is Eliphaz ignoring? The complexity of life. That you can have a really wise farmer that works really hard and tills the ground and fertilizes it and plants really good seed and does the right weeding and does all the stuff he's supposed to do. And then there's a fire that comes and burns his crop up. Or there's locusts that come and eat it up. Or there's a frost that kills it. Or a thunder shower that comes at the wrong time. He's ignoring the complexity of life. I think we do that too often. So please know this. The Bible makes it real clear the storm comes for every single one of us, the wise and the moron alike. That too often I think people believe the Bible is about good people getting what they want. No, the Bible is about bad people receiving the grace of Jesus Christ and figuring out that's what I actually need. That's what the Bible is about. Storms are coming. Number three similarity. They both have the same information. Both of them have the words of Jesus. Both of them have equal access to the author of life and how to build well, how to choose well, how to do the right thing. God's not holding out on a certain population of people so that they fail. Everyone that's heard my words, everyone, they have the same information. But here's how they're different. First, the effects of the storm are very different. One house survives The other house is smashed into bits and there's nothing left of it. I don't know if you remember this, but maybe it was five, six years ago, Hurricane Michael kind of ripped across the the bottom of Florida. And when it ripped across, it just left devastation in its way. But there was this one house that it was on all the news for a while because it was one house that stood while every other house around it just disappeared. Remember this picture? Like it's unbelievable. You're like, how in the world did that 
house stay up, right? Well, listen, it was no accident. It was no accident that this one house withstood because they go to the owner builder, the guy built it himself. And what he had done is he had put these concrete pillars that went 40 feet deep down into the bedrock. And then he had cabled up every one of those pillars so that the cables went up and over his roof and back down to the other side, every couple of feet across his whole roof, right? He said he added about 15% to the price of his home, but was it worth it? Oh yeah, he had no neighbors then, brilliant. They interviewed him later on, the TV did. And this is what he said, and I love it. He goes, I'm a big fan of concrete. (laughs) Everyone is now, man, everyone. It's no accident when a home, when a life survives a storm. When you see a family or you see an individual go through something Job-like, they are hit with the hurricanes of life and they emerge with faith and they emerge without coping and turning to garbage to to try to get through it when they turn to Jesus and turn to the body and just, they do it brilliantly. That's not an accident. That's not an accident. That's someone that has dug deep and has wired their house correctly, right? The second difference is this, the foundation. One foundation is rock. The other foundation is sand. So back up for a second. What is the very first decision you have to make when you're building a house? Where you build it, okay? Anyone here ever use a shovel? Is it easier to dig in sand or rock, right? So fundamentally, you have this life built on an excuse almost, built on a, mm, yeah, I'm not digging there. You ever dug in rock? So in the school of ministry, I did that when I was in my early 20s, um, a year-long thing with Applegate. And the first three and a half months was down in Mexico. And I don't know if you remember them, Bob and Irene Blanchard were planting a mission in Mixteca, just this area in Mexico. And so Fridays, we would leave our, where we stayed and we'd go down to Bob and Irene's and we'd do whatever Bob and Irene wanted us to do that day. And what Bob wanted us to do was to dig a latrine. And it was digging down through rock, four feet by four feet. And by the time we got there, it was like six feet deep, but he wanted it 12 feet deep. So what we would do is this, you'd get this ladder, you'd climb down six feet, you'd have a pickaxe. You'd get to the bottom of that little rock pit, just rock every, just four foot rock walls. And then you would just hammer away for 15 minutes at solid rock. Chips going everywhere, just just that dripping sweat. You'd finish, they'd lower this five gallon bucket down. You'd scrape in the couple of rocks you got, about a coffee cup full, scrape it into the five gallon bucket. They'd pull it out and then you would climb up the ladder just exhausted. I mean, exhausted from that. And we were all dumb and young, so we'd wear shorts. Well, guess what happened when you're chipping rocks? Our shins looked like someone shot us with a shotgun just bloody and sweaty. And I remember every time I would come out of that hole, I'd come up, I'd stand, there would be Bob Blanchard, arms folded. And he'd watch us come out of the hole and he'd just be like, mm-hmm, yep. He loved it, right? Half the guys were like mad at him. He's just standing up there. I'm like, I, now I'm 51. I'm like, I love that. You know what young men need? Get in a hole and just break rock, right? You want to cure hyperactivity, ADHD? ADD, get in a hole and dig rock. 
We had one guy that was all that kind of stuff, 18-year-old. Man, he slept like a babe after Mission Mizteca. All his hyperactivity, gone. He could pay attention, right? So, man, you dig rock? Hard, hard work. So fundamentally, day one, the wise guy says, all right, I'm digging in rock. That's the way it's gotta be. Fundamentally, day one, the fool says, no way. That's too hard. No way. Now, what is the difference in the foundation? It's not activity. It's not good works. Not access to information. Not a disadvantaged childhood or an advantaged childhood. It's not your parents. It's not your spouse. It's nothing material. It's one thing. It's what you and I do with the words of Jesus. Look at what it says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The wise man is the person that hears the words of Jesus and does them. The foolish person is the one that builds on the sand. And sand's not evil and sand's not terrible and sand's not, you know, you're going off the deep end. Sand is simply truth that is not used. Just more truth, more truth that I'm not gonna use. So Jesus, the author of life, has given to us the greatest sermon ever. And the wise man says, even if it's hard, even if it's like digging in rock, I'm gonna do that. The fool says, yeah, you know what? Ah, it's, you know, I, 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 that doesn't really apply to me. My, my wife needs to do that. I don't need to do that. My neighbor needs those. I, I'm the exception. Or just flat out ignores it. See, the sand is truth unused. And the hurricane's coming. We're not going to stop it. The hurricane's coming. So let me give you a, maybe a few reasons why we might choose sand. Number one is the human brain is forgetful. Have you noticed that? We just forget. So all of us have been here. We started this sermon series back in June. So it's been months and months of just painfully slow words of Jesus, no doubt about it. And you've been here, I've studied it, but you know what? They found, science has found something. They've proved it now. When you walk through a doorway, you forget what was happening in the room behind you. Do you know that? You ever felt that out here? You leave here, you go out, you meet somebody that's coming into the 11 o'clock service and they're like, hey, how was the sermon? Oh, it was great. Oh, what was great about it? Oh, great. <laughs> right? That's just the way it is. So how do we ba battle that? I write things down. When something is impressed on my heart, when God's word is being opened, I know my brain now, I gotta write it down. I will not remember that. I'll walk through these doors, I'll be erased, and I'll forget, right? So you write it down. But there's a second kind of person. This one's more dangerous. It's the one that James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about in James chapter one. You can read it. It's the showmen. They're here with no intention of ever allowing God's word to penetrate their heart, ever allowing God's word to actually transform them and make them into somebody else. It's almost comical if it wasn't 
so sad. It's, I'm here to learn more things that I'm not going to do. What? Love your neighbor. Yeah. Once he starts mowing the middle strip of grass between our houses, I'll love him. Pray without ceasing. Well, you know, I'd love to talk with you over a cup of coffee about prayer. What? Just do it. Give, serve, no, right? Just nothing. I'm not going to do any of this. And so it's, it's like this. You can have full notebooks with an empty life. You can have full notebooks with an empty life if you're not coming to God's word saying, I wanna be transformed. And it can, we can cloud it with all kinds of study. Here's my analogy. So I've got two boys. Let's say I need my lawn mode. So I head out that morning, they're not up yet. So I leave them a letter. I write, hey, I'm your, you know, Elijah Myron. I love you guys. I want the best for you. Um, I'm always available. You know, I give them an inspirational quote, whatever. And then I say, here's what I need you to do for me today. I need you to mow the lawn. Sincerely, your dad. Go to work, come back. Eight hours later, I get there. The lawn's not mowed. I walk in, I'm like, boys, did you get my letter? I'm like, oh, dad, we got your letter. It was so awesome. It was so inspiring. Oh, we have studied your letter all day long. The grammar is unbelievable. Your penmanship is perfect. In fact, we have been researching mowing. We've looked up culturally why we mow lawns. We've looked at how other cultures have mowed lawns throughout the history of mowing. We've looked up mowing in the Hebrew and the Greek. Oh, dad, it's amazing. We're starting an accountability group so that we all become mowers. It's awesome, dad. But sons, did you mow the lawn? No, but look at my notebook. Isn't it awesome? Notebooks won't help you in the storm. They won't help you. Doing is what's gonna help us. We gotta be careful because it's really easy to believe that because we've heard something and maybe even wrote down that something that we're actually doing it. It's what James warns us about. We become people that look at ourselves in a mirror and then we forget what kind of people we are. We leave, we're in a pipe dream because we're not actually doing any of it, okay? And I think personally, we face this problem today in America like no other generation has ever faced this problem. Here's why. We are now programmed to ignore information. Do you know that? We are programmed to ignore information. So for most of human civilization, when you got news, when you got information, it was local and it was usable. 99% of what you would have learned 100 years ago was local and usable, right? So if you could just reverse the clock back to Grants Pass 1923, what do you think the news was in Grants Pass? Was it the economy of China? No way. Was it... Ukraine or Russia or Putin or somebody? No way, right? That wasn't the news you're getting. The news you would have got was this. Hey, Bill, his fence got wiped out by the flood. His cows all got out. And then you had information, local and usable. You could be like, man, I love Bill. I'm gonna go help him. Or I hate Bill. I'm glad that happened to him. You could do something immediately with the information because 99% of the news you would have got 100 years ago was local and usable. Is that true today? No, 99% of the information we get now is not local and it's not usable, right? I just, when I was doing this, I just went on like, what's the top news story? Guess what it was? 
Taylor Swift, woman of the year. Right? Is that usable? No, right? And you just keep going down the line, right? It's all this kind of stuff. Like, are you kidding me? How can we use any of this? DeSantis and, and right, right, Gavin Newsom and whoever it is. Like just tons of information that we just consume and consume and consume and we can do absolutely nothing with it. College football. How usable is that information? Right, all the things, how do I control that? I, I, I have no effect on that, right? The transfer portal, you wanna get in a black hole? Just start paying attention to the transfer portal. So Oregon State University has lost every single player to the transfer portal. They all just left, which is kind of usable for me because I've got four years of eligibility left. I may go up there, try my hand at it. Watch out for the shoulder. I got one bad shoulder. We're programmed now to just ignore information. We process it quickly and then just shuttle it off somewhere. That's so unhealthy. What would Jesus call us? Morons. Truth unused is morons. So how do we get out of the sand, especially in our culture, and onto the rock? Well, Jesus has been hammering it over and over and over again. There's only two choices. There's only two. There's only two trees. There's only two paths. There's only two kinds of teachers. There's only kind of two kinds of followers. And there's only two kinds of builders. It's real simple. You've been here, I've been here. We've studied the words of Jesus. Will we do them? Will we take the hard route or the easy route? Will we do what Jesus says? He says, forgive. If you come to church and you're, you're giving your thing at the altar and you have this, oh man, I got a problem with this guy. Leave your gift, go be reconciled to the guy. Forgive him, do the hard work that that is to make things right. Are we actually gonna do that? Or are we just gonna have that information come? and go and grow into people that are angry and resentful and bitter and destroyed. Jesus says, hey, lust is a problem. Deal radically with your lust. Poke out your eye, cut off your arm. Stop objectifying people. Are we gonna do that? Because that's hard work. That'll be difficult. That'll be like pickaxing rock. Are we going to do that hard work? Or are we going to get in a cycle of lust with pornography and broken marriages and broken relationships and affairs and unfaithfulness? This is what Jesus is saying. All of us, man, we've got the information here. All of us have it. Are we going to do the hard work? That's the question. When a house stands, it is no accident. When a house withstands the storms of life, the hurricanes that come for us all, it is not an accident. It's somebody that has said, I'm gonna hear the words of Jesus and I'm gonna do what he says. That's it. I'm not gonna make excuses why I shouldn't. I'm not gonna blame it on somebody else. I'm not gonna say if they would first, I'm not gonna do any of that because there's no excuse in here for that kind of behavior. It's okay, Jesus, you spoke. I'm gonna hear and I will obey. And it's, humbly coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I see your way is right. And I see it's hard. And I see my tools are dull and I need help. See, the gospel is not about you doing it on your own. The gospel is always an invitation by Jesus to say, come follow me. All who are willing, 
All who are weary, all who are laboring, all who are come to me, Jesus says, I will help you. And yes, he uses the body. And yes, he'll use pastors. And yes, he'll use game changers. He'll use all these tools, but ultimately he's looking for people in humility saying, I've been building on the sand, Jesus. Forgive me for that. I wanna build on the rock. I know it's hard. I know that way is not easy, but it leads to life and it abundantly, and that's what I want.